The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So in um, exploring our practice, this practice of bringing mindfulness into our lives and understanding our minds, understanding our hearts, the Buddha offered us a path. He offered us a, a series of um, ways to explore our experience that he said will help us to uh, come to a, an understanding of our minds, to help us to come to an understanding of how we get caught, how we struggle, um, why we struggle, essentially. And he, he pointed to some specific things for us to, to look at to help us to understand why we get caught in our own, actually we get caught in our own minds, we get caught in our own patterns and habits. Because they're, you know, they're kind of, they're conditioned and they're um, so well-worn in our minds that we easily slip into them when we're not clear and present. And even when we are clear and present, we can slip into them because they have such a momentum, such a pull on our minds. So in this path, this eightfold path that the Buddha offered, there's one factor of that that's kind of, for me at least, the, the engine that, that uh, drives the whole path. And that is right effort. And last, last time I was here, I talked a little bit about right effort. And, you know, I've been, those of you who've been coming for a while know that for almost the last year I've been exploring the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Um, just, be, just kind of taking, take, we've been taking our time wandering through these teachings because the Buddha said actually that everything that he taught could fit into this framework of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So uh, I've been taking the time to explore pretty much all the Buddhist teachings as we come to them through, uh, through exploring the Eightfold Path, uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And so starting last time I was here, I began looking at right effort. And um, when I first started thinking about right effort, I thought, you know, I'll probably take three weeks on right effort. And this morning as I was looking at it, I realized, no, it's going to be longer than that. <laughs> um, and I'll explain, I'll explain that in just a moment. So um, I'd like to continue talking about right effort today. And just to give you a little bit of an overview of what the teaching on right effort is. So in thinking about it as being the engine of um, our practice, it's where we, it's the teaching about how and where to apply our energy to our exploration of our experience. So he suggests four ways of doing this. That we look at where there are uh, unwholesome tendencies of mind. And unwholesome tendencies of mind in the, the way the Buddha defined them are those tendencies of mind that tend to catch us in suffering, that tend to lead us into difficulty, struggle, Maybe as subtle as frustration or annoyance or as great as rage and anger. So the, uh, the, the range of what the Buddha is talking about in terms of unwholesome states is, is quite broad. Um, but they're, they're those states that are rooted in uh, three basic tendencies of greed, aversion, and delusion. Um, so greed, we tend to have greed when we like things, we want them. Um, and that that kind of wanting to hold on to things creates a struggle or a suffering. I mean, on, on the surface of it, you know, it doesn't necessarily seem like, well, if we get what we want, there's a problem with that. And there's not inherently a problem with that, but what we tend to do is that we, um, we hold on to those things. We, we create an identity around them. We feel like things are, this is the way it's supposed to be when we get what we like, when we get what we want. And that um, when inevitably things change, those situations or conditions fade and 
we're no longer in the situation of having what we like, or perhaps our minds change, and that thing that we liked so much two weeks ago isn't quite so enthralling anymore, and so we're off looking for something else to like. So there's um, a kind of an inherent um, struggle in this whole notion of either trying to get things and hold on to things, or to get rid of things because we're essentially continually trying to struggle with, we're continually struggling with the way things are in order to make them some other way. And even when we have what we want, that very holding on is kind of going against the, uh, the natural grain of existence and that those things are, the things that we have are changing, disintegrating, our minds are changing. And so the, the things that we're satisfied with in this moment are either not going to be here in the next few moments or we're no longer going to be so satisfied with them in the next few moments. So that if that sense of finding satisfaction is what drives us, finding satisfaction in things and identities and being appreciated, approved, there's all kinds of ways we try to find satisfaction. If that's what, where we're trying to find our happiness, it's not very reliable. And so it, it tends to create this, this struggle, this suffering. And so the Buddha pointed to these three qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion as kind of underlying all of the struggles that we have. And this relates to the uh, looking at the unwholesome, the the qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion underlie these, uh, what the, the Buddha calls unwholesome. Unskillful is another word for that. Um, we can think about it as being not skillful in terms of creating happiness in our lives. So that the, uh, the first part of right effort that I talked about last week is looking at how these unskillful, unwholesome qualities come up in our minds looking at can we find ways to avoid uh, those qualities coming up in our minds and finding ways to um, let go of them when they do. And so this is a a whole set of practices that the Buddha offered. And I want to point to this engine that the Buddha is uh, teaching us about, this engine of effort. It's not just simply, simply any kind of of energy and effort that's being applied here. He is directing us to apply it with a particular, uh, like, orientation. He wants us to apply our energy towards letting go of those unskillful states of mind that are grounded in greed, aversion, and delusion, and to direct it towards cultivating wholesome states of mind, those qualities of mind that support us moving towards happiness of letting go of shifting, actually a whole shift of our orientation of mind from away from trying to find satisfaction to a letting go, to the, the very letting go of that trying to find satisfaction takes us into a deeper kind of happiness, a deeper kind of satisfaction in a way that's, that doesn't come from getting things that we want or having things that we want, or being seen in a certain way, it rather comes from a letting go of needing anything in particular. So that deeper kind of happiness. So the the wholesome qualities, the skillful qualities of minds are the ones that lead us more in that direction. So the engine that the Buddha is talking about, this engine of right effort, has... um, ingrained in it, or it's imbued with this uh, a sense of wisdom in terms of what we're trying to accomplish and what the, the path of practice is trying to accomplish is a letting go of the ways that we struggle, a letting go of the ways that we uh, end up suffering. And so the effort that we're making is in this direction. So it's connected with the wisdom that the Buddha offered Again, around this question of why do we struggle? Why do we suffer? Why do we find that things aren't the way we'd like them to be? So his, his, uh, his teaching on that is a real radical kind of reframing of how we normally operate in the world. And so the effort that he's, he's suggesting we make includes this understanding. So the, um, the two kinds of... Uh, 
wise effort to around the unwholesome states are to avoid unwholesome states that aren't present in our minds to, f- to, f- to find ways to um, um, notice we, we begin to notice through our uh, practice and through understanding causes and conditions that certain situations certain states of mind certain um, conditions will lead us towards these unwholesome states I mean for instance a simple a simple thing that you might notice um, if you don't get enough sleep perhaps you notice you're more agitated and um, irritable the next day so one way to avoid irritability might be to notice that correlation and to make the effort to get more sleep so just that's a very simple kind of um, exploration of that what is it that creates these struggles this, the, these unwholesome states in our mind and finding ways to um, avoid that. And then the other half of that uh, aspect of right effort is the looking at the unwholesome states when they have arisen and finding ways to let go of them. And this is a big area. I talked about this a lot last week. This is really where mindfulness comes in a lot, that um, the letting go of unwholesome states. We often just can't say, you know, when we're in the midst of a, a in, you know, a, a storm of, of rage, it's not that we can just wake up into it and say, oh, this isn't useful, I'll let this go. You know, it doesn't seem to work like that. So the, um, the, the practice of right effort in that kind of situation is to bring mindfulness to it, which begins to allow it to r- release. And it, it helps us from being driven and acting out of that state of mind, that difficult state of mind. We, we observe it instead of acting out of it. So that's, that's one of the ways for the, uh, to explore the letting go, is that actually mindfulness is one of the ways to explore the letting go of unwholesome states of mind that are present for us. We can also, of course, try to um, you know, incline our minds to let go. Um, and sometimes we can, you know, sometimes we can just recognize, yeah, that's not so helpful, let me, let me try something else here. So today I want to explore, uh, in a little more detail, the, um, the second half of right effort, which is looking at wholesome qualities of mind. So the, the, second, two, the second pair of wise effort is around uh, cultivating wholesome states of mind that are not yet present for us that aren't in our minds at, at the moment, and also in maintaining or sustaining, or, cult or yeah, I guess sustaining would be the best word, um, those wholesome states of mind that have come up for us. So this is, um, this exploration of cultivating wholesome states, um, this is where I think that I'm, I'm probably going to spend some time in the next number of weeks because um, I, I thought, wow, yeah, I could, I, 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 this, is a, this is a big part of, the, of Buddhist practice, actually, this whole aspect of cultivating wholesome qualities of mind. And we don't talk about it that much. We, we pretty much, we talk a lot about mindfulness and just being with what is. And sometimes people think, hear these teachings on right effort and think they sound a little bit contradictory to mindfulness. We're supposed to cultivate wholesome states. How does that work with mindfulness? And I'll explore that a little bit more as we go. Um, but I want to, in, uh, to, to put out here, and for the next few weeks I want to put out, that cultivating these beautiful qualities, qualities like patience, kindness, generosity, um, happiness, um, balance of mind, tranquility, actually putting some effort into cultivating these states of mind is part of our practice. So this week I wanted to kind of talk about it in general, and then um, the next couple of weeks talk about some particular lists of wholesome qualities that the Buddha talked about and how we can uh, explore these. I mean, I actually think of this part of the Buddha's practice, of the, of the path of, of um, the Eightfold Path, as being the happiness part. 
Now, this is the part where we're allowed to cultivate happiness. We're allowed to try to incline our minds in that direction. So I want to spend some time talking about this. I want to spend quite a few weeks. And the whole, the whole practices of loving-kindness fits into this area as well. So the practice of exploring, um, you know, cultivating goodwill towards ourselves and other people. That's part of this terrain. And so I'll spend some time on that um, over the next few weeks as well. I think I came up with, uh, I don't know, I wrote it down. I think I came up with eight or nine weeks of material (laughs) 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 for this topic of cultivating wholesome states. So we'll just wander through this terrain for a while. And then when I feel like we're done, we'll go on to the next aspect of the Eightfold Path. And I try, I try to make these, this, um, this exploration work so that you can come in and out, you know, you can drop in and out of these, I, you know. So if you don't make all of the next weeks, it's not a problem, you know. However you can get here, there's, I, I feel like I try to, you know, create a kind of contained discussion um, within a day. So the, um, the third kind of right effort is to cultivate or arouse, bring up, wholesome states that have not yet arisen. So if we think about how to do this, there's kind of two approaches. If we're, if we're thinking about how to practice with this as something to engage with. Uh, one of the things that we can do I touched on when we talked a little bit about um, letting go of, or letting go of unwholesome states. One of the ways to cultivate wholesome states is to abstain from um, situations that put us into unwholesome states of mind. So the the precepts, the practice of the um, um, ethical conduct. It's, it's usually it's phrased um, in the negative as actions to avoid. You know, we avoid killing, we avoid taking what's not given, we avoid false speech, we avoid sexual misconduct, and we avoid intoxicants. All of those um, um, actions, if we were to engage in them, would tend to put us into situations that would cultivate um, unwholesome qualities of mind. If we're abstaining from those actions with wise reflection, not just with, you know, oh, I'm not going to do that, it's wrong. I'm not going to do that. They said I'm not supposed to do that, you know, so that it becomes more like a commandment. You know, thou shalt not, you know, do these things. If we engage in that way and it's more just, okay, not going to do that, and we're not actually contemplating or reflecting on why we're not engaging with that, it doesn't serve so well on this side of cultivating the wholesome. But if we engage with these aspects, of the, these practices of the precepts, with the notion of how it supports our practice, so for instance, the refraining from killing, if we engage with that, recognizing that the, um, the refraining, refraining from killing actually helps to create the container to cultivate compassion. Refraining from harming other beings creates the container for us to open our hearts to other beings. This actually is surprising the way this works. Some of you might have heard my, my story, one of my stories around this. Um, I, um, at one point in my house, there was, I don't know what the deal was for like a summer or two, but there were a lot of ants in my kitchen. And I was working with this precept of refraining from killing. And, you know, I, I, I was just, just exploring that mostly. I, I was, you know, actually I was engaging with it kind of from the direction of, okay, I'm going to try not to do this. I wasn't so much contemplating this brings up compassion in the mind. Um, but I was just exploring how to do this. And I was trying to, to work with these ants in my kitchen in a very compassionate and kind way in that, um, you know, I, I was... Um, when I saw the ants come into my kitchen, I would, like... It took a long time. I'd corral them with soap. And then I'd gently make that corral smaller and smaller 
so that it would work them back to their uh, place where they were coming in. I kind of identified where they were coming in. And then I kind of make the corral smaller, smaller. And they would kind of, you know, notice that there was something going on. They don't cross the line of soap. So, you know, they, they, they'd kind of go find their way back. And then when I, you know, found that all the ants were back, I'd like seal that little hole up with some Vaseline or something so that they wouldn't come in that spot again. Um, so I was doing this for several weeks. I, you know, did this kind of thing. Um, and um, I got a little impatient after a while. You know, this took a long time. <laughs> and so I wanted to hurry this process up. You know, I think it took a lot, like 20 or 30 minutes to do this whenever I had to do this. I wanted to hurry this process up. So I started taking a piece of paper, smaller than this, but like I'd, I'd take a piece of paper and I'd scoop up some of the ants and I'd, you know, drop them back by their hole. And uh, then I could make the corral smaller a little quicker. And after doing this for a little while, I began to notice some odd behavior in the ants that over by the place, the hole where they were coming and going, one of the ants stood on its back two feet. I had never seen an ant do that. It stood on its back two feet. And it started scanning the environment like this. You know, it, 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 it moved its upper half of its body back and forth like that. And... Uh, to me, I mean, this is anthropomorphizing the ant, but to me, this expressed alarm. <laughs> you know, it expressed alarm in the ant colony. And that moment of seeing that, there was, there was an opening of my heart to the ants. They no longer were things. They became beings. You know, that, 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 that I had been treating them like things. And they became beings. And in that, the heart opened to compassion for these ants. So I learned for myself how this works. You know, how does it work that refraining from killing actually leads us in this direction of opening our hearts? I think it does it by this exploration of, it takes us to the place where we realize that these are other beings out there. You know, that there's, there's a kind of a, a, a connection with life. A connection with life. So, working with the precepts with an understanding that they support compassion, and actually each precept is paired with a beautiful quality. Refraining from killing is paired with compassion. Refraining from um, taking what's not given is, is paired with contentment. Of having... Of, of, of having what we need, not needing to take others' things. Refraining from false speech is, re- is paired with honesty. Uh, refraining from um, sexual misconduct is said to be paired with fidelity because um, it's uh, associated with not ad- non-adultery in the texts. But I think also the refraining from um, sexual misconduct cultivates compassion because, again, we're instead of thinking about other beings as things to serve us in, our, uh, in the sexual realm. We, we, tr- we connect with them as people, as, as other beings. So there's that sense of compassion. And refraining from intoxicants cultivates uh, heedfulness of mind, of clarity of mind. So this is one way to engage with cultivating wholesome qualities, to uh, allow ourselves to to work with the precepts to find and, and find for ourselves situations um, that, you know, if we, ha- if we find ourselves in situations that create unwholesome qualities, we may want to uh, avoid those situations or find ways to, um, to avoid those situations. Find ways to work with those situations in a different way, perhaps. Maybe a better way to phrase that. So then uh, another, another way to cultivate these wholesome qualities is to do kind of an active cultivation. So to pick a quality, for instance, that you'd like to explore and, and then see 
how to f- find ways to cultivate that. Now, there are, are some specific qualities that the Buddha has practices for. Metta, compassion, so kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, or wholesome qualities of mind. And there are some specific practices that are available. And I'll, that's one of the things I'll spend some time talking about in, in a few weeks, is what are some of these practices to cultivate uh, the open heart. Essentially, I look at those four qualities as being the map of the open heart. And uh, there are some specific tools that we can use to cultivate those qualities. For um, other of these qualities, you know, I think creativity is great. If you have a, a one of those qualities you'd like to play with or explore, you know, generosity, for example. Um, you know, finding ways to explore being generous. Not just generous with finances, but generous with your time. Um, generous with your, um, the way you offer yourself in the world. You know, even just simple, simple generosity of offering a smile to um, a grocery store clerk. You know, that can be, that can be understood as, a, as, an, as an offering. So the... I think that the, this practice of cultivating wholesome qualities can really be a daily life practice. And this is, um, touches on one of the, uh, the lists, another one of the lists that the Buddha offered, the list of the, they're called the Ten Perfections. And the, this list, it's talked about, it's not really gathered as a list in the suttas themselves, all of these qualities are mentioned in the suttas, but it's more gathered as a list in the in the later tradition, in the commentarial tradition for the Buddha, for the for Buddhism. But it's a great um, set of qualities, and in Asia, they're very important qualities. The the um, lay people that come to the monasteries will come and visit the monks from time to time. Um, you know, once a week maybe, and sit down and talk to them about their practice, their uh, exploration of the Buddha's practice in their daily lives. And often what the um, teacher is talking to them about are these qualities. These qualities of exploring, uh, this exploration of these qualities, the ten perfections, is understood to be a daily life practice in Asia. So these qualities are generosity, ethical conduct, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, resolve, loving kindness, equanimity, and truthfulness. And that's another topic that I thought I'd spend some time on in the next few weeks. It's kind of exploring those um, qualities and how we can practice with those in daily life. So I'll just give um, an example from my own exploration of one of these qualities to, to kind of set this into context or to give you a sense of how you might work with these paramis in your daily life. So for me, patience was a quality I wanted to work on as a quality I wanted to cultivate. And so um, I kind of put that in my mind as um, kind of the orientation for my practice for a few months. And um, this in my daily life in particular. So I began, you know, just looking. In first, the first thing I began looking at in terms of cultivating patience, you know, if, we, if we're looking at cultivating a wholesome quality of mind, we can, you know, try to directly cultivate it or we can look at what gets in its way. And what gets in patience way is impatience. So that's where I began. To cultivate patience, I began looking at impatience. So just noticing where impatience came up. And I, you know, it came up everywhere. I mean, I was kind of shocked at how pervasive it was. I mean, I thought I was just impatient in, in situations perhaps at work or... Um, you know, know, kind of big situations. But I found I was impatient while I was brushing my teeth, you know. It was like, I've got better things to do than brush my teeth. (laughs) I've got more important things to do than brush my teeth, perhaps. Um, So I really began seeing just how pervasive it was. 
And then, um, you know, one day, one day, this, this really made me laugh. I know some of you have heard this story. I was walking down the street and noticed some trivial little thing, you know, where impatience flared up. And then the next thing that came into my mind was, I've been looking at this impatience for two months. When is it going to go away? (laughs) Okay, there it is again. (laughs) I had to laugh at myself. So, you know, just really seeing how much we have habits of, you know, some of the opposites of these qualities. And the other, the other exploration that I found really interesting, particularly around patients, and I think you could use it on others as well, um, is to model the quality. This was my way of cultivating it actively. So if I didn't feel patient, I would act patient. Now this kind of exploration we have to do carefully because um, we can deceive ourselves, we can push down, or it's kind of like paper over, like, oh yes, I'm very patient. I'm going to act patient, and I'm very patient. And it's as if we try to fool ourselves into thinking that we feel patient when we are just simply acting patient. And so this exploration is around really deeply acknowledging the internal state of mind as whatever it is, impatient or frustrated or angry or whatever it is. But the way I think of it is not allowing that to leak out into the behavior. So, um, you know, just kind of smoothing out the actions for myself. I found just simply smoothing out the actions when I found myself behaving in an impatient way, you know, picking things up quickly or, um, you know, just kind of the jer- there could be a jerkiness of my actions when I was impatient that I noticed, and so the way of en- a way of engaging with this was to acknowledge, yep, I'm impatient right now. Let me see if I can behave as though I were patient. So smoothing out my actions, picking things up more carefully, slowing down, and I found um, at times I could I found that that kind of slowing things down would actually. Uh, have the impatience release and it would create the quality of patience in the mind. It was quite amazing that, that our behavior can actually rebound on our mind. It, it, if we act in skillful ways, it can in turn create those conditions for those qualities to arise in our mind. But we can't be deceiving ourselves. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of an interesting practice to explore that. And you, know, you could practice this with other things as well. If you're not feeling generous, cultivate giving, the act of giving. You know, generosity is the internal quality that's felt when, uh, that that's the wholesome quality that we cultivate. And we may feel stingy. We can, feeling that stinginess, we can then cultivate the act of giving. And then, you know, acknowledging, yep, I feel stingy right now, but I'm going to make this act to see how it possibly might open the heart or shift the internal landscape. So that's, that's another way to explore um, uh, cultivating wholesome qualities. And then um, we also, in cultivating wholesome qualities, we cultivate mindfulness. One of my teachers in Burma, Saida Upandita, one of his favorite, um, I don't know favorite, but something I heard him say uh, was, uh, mindfulness is the most wholesome mind state. So if we are cultivating mindfulness, even if we're cultivating mindfulness of frustration or anger, of annoyance, we are cultivating a wholesome quality of mind. So this is, um, this is how mindfulness kind of fits in to this side of the picture. That as we cultivate mindfulness, we are cultivating a wholesome quality of mind. And it also, I mean, we, we also start to see, you know, if you're paying attention with mindfulness to um, anger, for instance, you see the anger, but you also, can, you, you might start to see a little shift in the mind, a little bit of more space around it. So there's the anger, but there's also a little bit of sense of, I can deal with this. So that's confidence. 
sense of confidence coming up, which is another wholesome, beautiful quality of mind. Confidence in our ability to engage. We may feel an, in, uh, an increased sense of, of energy applied toward the practice, a sense that confidence can lead us to a sense of uh, engagement, of, yes, this, this is supportive. You know, so it in- increases our inclination to engage. So that's another wholesome quality, this quality of wholesome energy. So there's, there's many qualities that are cultivated, even as we're working with difficulty. And so that's another way to explore um, this half of wise effort. When you are mindful of something, and even especially, I'd say, when you're mindful of something difficult, can you notice what wholesome qualities of mind are being deepened as you do this exploration? Acceptance is another quality that gets deepened. The, the, the quality of, it's okay. It's okay that, that this is here right now. So can you, can you begin to notice what beautiful qualities are kind of coming along for the ride as we engage with mindfulness? So the next quality, the next aspect of wise effort is the sustaining of wholesome states that have arisen. So I was just talking about the cultivating of states that are are not coming up for us very much. When they do come up, when the qualities of kindness, of mindfulness, of acceptance, of generosity, of truthfulness, when they do come up for us, the uh, instruction that the Buddha offers is, can we sustain them? Can we... um, encourage their continuance in our minds. So for me, you know, first hearing that, I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, why would it be, take effort to do that? Why would it take effort to sustain wholesome states? And for myself, I don't know about you, but I found it actually, it does take effort. Partly because our habits of mind are so strong that if we're not kind of continually connecting with, oh, there's actually joy arising right now, or there's actually you know, calm and peace arising right now, if we're not actually connecting with that, our habits are going to come in and you know, take us off in the direction that they're used to going, which is often towards frustration, anger, annoyance, wanting, all kinds of, you know, the, the, most of our patterns are rooted in these unwholesome states of greed, aversion, and delusion. So if we're not um, kind of alert to the fact that these wholesome states are coming, these wholesome states are present, um, we may lose them. Or they'll just kind of just drift off. I actually also found for myself that um, when I was experienced and even acknowledged them, you know, if I acknowledged, oh yeah, this is, there's calm right now, my habit of mind was so strong that I would go, oh, there's calm right now. Well, this is the perfect time to pay attention to how unpleasant things are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, I would, I would not really take the time to, to, to connect with what does it feel like to be calm? This is, a, this is one of the best ways, actually. I think mindfulness is one of the best tools to use to cultivate or to sustain wholesome states when they have come up. Acknowledge them. Recognize them. This is what it feels like when the mind is accepting. This is what it feels like when there's peace or calm or generosity. This is what it feels like. Acknowledge it to yourself. That acknowledgement, that mindfulness itself, will help to sustain those states. And so this, this is where I want to bring back the mindfulness and look at the, entire, the entirety of wise effort with respect to mindfulness to, to show how they're not um, kind of opposite to each other. That, um, you know, what, we're often, what we often think of with mindfulness is that we just t- accept what's arising, right? You know, what, whatever's coming up. That's, we just, we're just mindful of that. And how is that you know, related to cultivating, unwholesome, uh, cultivating wholesome states and abandoning unwholesome states? Well, 
it's kind of because this quality of mindfulness, I see it as having a kind of, um, it's kind of magic in a way, the way it works. Because when we are mindful of unwholesome states, it creates the conditions for them to appear less frequently in our mind stream. We pay attention to anger with mindfulness. The mind learns with direct experience that anger is suffering. It begins to let go of that anger. It begins to understand through this exploration what conditions lead us into anger. It begins to avoid those conditions. So the exploration of mindfulness around our unwholesome states creates the condition for them to diminish. So this is essentially being mindful is engaging in wise effort. When we bring mindfulness to wholesome states, it creates the condition for them to appear more frequently in our mind stream. We pay attention to generosity, to kindness, to compassion, to, um, to joy, to balance of mind, to acceptance. As we bring our attention to those, the mind deeply understands that this is heading us away from suffering. The mind actually wants to go towards happiness. We just misunderstand. We've got these kind of filters in our mind that have us completely misunderstand of what the direction towards happiness is. But when the mind starts to deeply connect with these wholesome qualities of mind, it knows this is happiness. When you are in a state of peace and acceptance and acknowledging that, the mind understands that that's a good place to be. And so it strengthens those qualities. So we can kind of think, too, about right effort as being not four separate things, but four sides of a single process. So, for example, with paying attention to anger, with mindfulness. If we are bringing mindfulness to that anger, we are um, uh, looking at... We are um, supporting the letting go of that unskillful anger through that mindfulness. So we're not, we're not engaging with the anger. I talked last time about the, uh, the, the sense of when we're driven by our difficulties, it's like the gears are engaged. So if anger is, is functioning and we're driven by our anger, th- there's you know, thoughts and actions and then there's the anger and they're kind of feeding each other, fueling each other. When we become mindful, it's like we disengage the gears. So the actions and thoughts... Uh, are no longer feeding the anger. And the anger has a chance to it just kind of live its life. It, without the gear engaged, it's going to kind of um, slow down on its own, kind of as a, a car going fast on the freeway when you put it into neutral, eventually comes to a stop. So kind of similar. So bringing mindfulness to our difficult states of mind is engaging with this aspect of wise effort that is Uh, letting go of unskillful states that are present in our mind. It also creates the conditions uh, for that unwholesome state of anger to appear less frequently in the future. So this is cultivating the conditions for that, um, that, that first kind of wise effort to avoid unwholesome states that have not arisen. We are creating the conditions for that anger to appear less frequently. So those... Being mindful of a difficult mind state, you're engaged with those first two right efforts. And how are we engaged with the other aspect of right effort? We're cultivating mindfulness in the first place. Mindfulness is present. So you're cultivating a wholesome state. You're sustaining a wholesome state that um, has arisen. And you're also creating the conditions for the arising of acceptance, peace, tranquility, concentration, calm. So you're creating the conditions for the arising of wholesome states that are not present yet. So engaging with mindfulness with our experience is right effort. There's not, there's not a, a separation there. 
So I've spoken for long enough. Any comments, any questions, any thoughts? Yeah, right there. Um, so, so I have a question about tendencies of... Is this working? It is. Uh, tendencies of mind. Um, and then, well, I'm a little bit confused about what I've... So on the way here this morning, um, I noticed uh, something different than I've experienced over the last year and a half because I've, uh, I've had chronic pain, not been able to do things. My mind has gotten very sluggish. Last couple of weeks, I'm feeling better and stronger. And uh, then my mind is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the last week, I, I've found myself making plans about um, uh, making things, building things, doing things, uh, taking pictures. I haven't had that for a very long time. And uh, what I noticed, what I've been noticing was that I was liking that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I was wondering, well, what, I don't, well, what became clear on the way here was that I don't really want to do these things. What, what's happening is, because I haven't done them, uh, I was enjoying the, the liveliness uh-huh. The aliveness yes. of my of the mind state, uh-huh. and my habit of mind is to make things, do things, etc. Yes. And they tend uh-huh. to be things that I'm that I'm wanting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's the observation. And then the second half of your talk about right effort, it seems like a. It, an easy time and an easy place, if there ever is an easy time or place for me to kind of make a transition in the way I use that energy, because my habits have changed somewhat. And instead of going back to the old habits, yes, uh, cultivate new ones. So yes, when there are transitions, yeah, it, that's a yeah, that's a great time to explore this. So it's. There's so many things that are... It's very complicated. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it's even, you know, it's hard even to... I'm not even... Well, it's hard to talk about it. So my question is, uh, where and how do I... What, what to cultivate here? I mean, so there's this energetic energy, mind energy. Mm-hmm. I'd like to use it in a healthier way. Yeah. Well, I think that's... I think you've almost come to your own answer right there. Um, you, f- you feel that aliveness of mind through, and that, that it was kind of almost the habit of that aliveness moving. And it's possible that that aliveness also was um, fueled a little bit by the plans, in a way. Um, but there's, there's a wholesome aspect of that aliveness. That is, there, there is that energy of um, engagement. So there is a wholesome aspect to that, and and I think that the the you know the I can't think of what the Buddha calls that. I think just energy actually. It's energy, and there's wholesome ways that we can direct that energy, and unwholesome ways that we can direct that energy. So you, your exploration around this was was beautiful. You recognized that you were enjoying the liveliness of mind, the aliveness, the in contrast, essentially, to the way your mind's been for the past long time, kind of held, uh, you know, sunk down by the pain, there's more of the aliveness now. The, the mind kind of probably feels like it's been set free to some extent of that kind of being sucked into the pain. And so that's wholesome. Now, the, the, this is a transition for you. You're right. It's a transition because um, it's a it's a, a fairly recent shift for you that you've, you've got this energy. And so to look at, you noticed, oh, you're making all these plans to do all these things, but no, I don't really want to do those things. So to not get fooled by that, you know, that your mind is doing that, that that's a habit, essentially. The, the way your mind did this in the past was to engage with those kinds of thoughts. And so look at 
you might take some time to reflect what's, what's priority for you. What's the most important uh, things that you want to do? I mean, I know some of the things that you're shifting into, into doing. You, know, you might look at where could I engage um, in a new way? Um, you know, volunteer or um, what, whatever you're engaging with. What, what feels like the direction that you want to go? And it might be, too, that there... I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not that, you know... Um, you know, taking pictures and being a photographer is 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 unwholesome. I mean, it's it's how that's used, how that's explored. So, just explore for yourself what's your priority and how can you manifest that those priorities, encouraging that energy to go towards the things that you want to nourish in your life. So you have this beautiful, and you've seen it yourself. I mean, you, you're, you're noticing it yourself already. So, you know, I think it's, it's really a matter of just looking at where is it that you want to, to spend your energy. You're taking some time to reflect on that. And then taking some action in that direction. Does that speak to you at all? What time is it? Oh, we've got about two minutes. We'll have one more question. Could you use the mic up? Finished yeah. with a, a, a process. And I spent the last couple of weeks thinking, well, what do I want to do next? Uh-huh. And I went through the whole thing with being creative. I always liked being creative, but I kind of feel like that's kind of ego-centered. Uh-huh. You know, look what I made, look what I did. And um, so that's why I'm here, because I settled on... Uh, looking myself. at your mind, yeah. yes, uh huh, yes. uh huh. That's beautiful. And um, and another thing to explore too, perhaps, might be uh, because you know we can we can recognizing that ways that we've engaged in the past, like creativity, we do tend to engage when we're you know when we're not alert and awake. It, it's engaged from a, a self-oriented perspective. We can also engage with that from a more um, open-hearted perspective, not to try to get anything, but to try to offer things. So um, to not necessarily feel like I have to cut creativity out of my life because it was self-centered. Can you explore creativity from a new perspective? Well, that's what I'm, creativity of studying myself. Yes, (laughs) yes, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. So, but, but also, you know, you might find that and you know a volunteer um, uh, like I know Arthur does some photography I mean a volunteer workshop for kids you know underprivileged kids you know something like that where it's it's an offering as opposed to something about me you know so that uh, you can you can just reframe and explore from a different perspective yeah so thank you all and we'll talk what I thought we'd talk about next week is the um the paramis, the cultivating, looking at those, those qualities of mind, the paramis. So, thank you.